Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let's bring in Bill Douglas, author of The Gospel of Science and is the founder of the World Healing Day, which is a global educational event held every year in more than 80 nations, recognized by 22 U.S. governors and government bodies in many nations around the world. He was the 2009 inductee to the World Internal Arts Hall of Fame in New York, is award-winning author of six books on personal and global transformation, and Bill has been a mind-body meditation source for media worldwide. Welcome to the program, Bill. Looking forward to this tonight. Hi, George. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about the organization you put together, the founder of the World Healing Day. Yes, uh, World Healing Day started uh, uh, 20 years ago as World Tai Chi Day. World Tai Chi Day is a, or Ch- uh, Tai Chi is a Chinese uh, meditative practice, and uh, and then it quickly uh, expanded to become World Tai Chi and Qigong Day, and then events around the world. It just it it just captured the world's imagination, and it just spread like a wildfire. And uh, it's, uh, as you said, it's celebrated in 80 nations. And so in a lot of uh, the events, uh, there were uh, other kinds of mind-body practices that were being uh, shared in these public events that are held all around the world the last Saturday of April each year. And so uh, uh, meditation and yoga and different kinds of mind-body practices became part of it. And so then uh, it became uh, a larger event that we call World Healing Day. And the goal of it is to educate the planet about the really profound and amazing research uh, on the, these mind-body practices uh, that are now being taught in virtually every country around the world. Did you expect it, Bill, to take off the way it did? Not really. Uh, uh, what, the way that it started was that uh, we were... Uh, see, when I first started, uh, when, I, when I started learning meditation and Tai Chi, uh, I was doing it for uh, anxiety and depression issues. Uh, I was in my 20s. and Yeah, well, and, that happens. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, so uh, that was my take on it. It was just kind of a personal uh, improvement uh, technique, you know, that helped with stress. But then uh, after I started teaching uh, for a few years, I, I got my first opportunity to teach in a major uh, medical network. And uh, uh, the very first class that we had was an eight-week session, and a whole bunch of doctors, it was, it was for the public, it wasn't for the staff, but a whole bunch of doctors uh, signed up for it because they were just really curious. Uh, back then, nobody had really heard about this stuff that much. This is like 30 years ago almost. And uh, the, the physicians were just stunned. Uh, they, a couple of them had gotten off. Uh, after the eight-week course, they'd gotten off of their hypertension medications. And uh, there was a surgeon in the class, and she'd had limited mobility and chronic pain for many years because of a whiplash injury. And, you know, being a surgeon, she'd been through every you know Western medical practice oh, sure. was. And uh, uh, still had the problem. And after that eight-week course, she had complete mobility, and she had no more chronic pain. So it was blowing their minds. And so they went to their hospital database. This was kind of before the Internet, at least for me. And uh, so I didn't have the capability of doing this. But their hospital had a database where they could search medical research. And so they started searching for Tai Chi and meditation medical research, and then they would hand it to me. And in the beginning, I thought, you know, why are they giving me this? You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I teach meditation and Tai Chi. But then the stack grew, and then I started to realize that there was, you know, huge implications as far as uh, medical health and, uh, uh, and cost savings. And I started doing, you know, just informal uh, research on, the, on, you know, people who 
you know, no longer needed their diabetes meds in our classes or hypertension meds or had avoided some type of surgery or something like that. And, uh, and I realized that we, you know, just in our class, we were saving our state, you know, millions of dollars, you know, uh, uh, at a minimal investment. And so then, uh, you know, I just kept keeping track of the scientific research coming out. And then eventually that led me into the scientific research on what these things do to the human brain. And that's when I got really, really excited. And the, and the event, uh, like I said, it just took off. It was like uh, uh, CNN picked up the very first event that we did. They, uh, they that's all it up. takes, right? Boom. Yeah, right. And then the next year it was in several countries, and it just spread. And, uh, and then people started taking it to their governors and mayors and, you know, health ministries in different countries. And they were saying, you know, this, you, you guys need to endorse this because this could really, you know, save our country a lot of uh, uh, health costs. And grief. Yeah, and grief and personal pain, yeah. Uh, it, it seems to me right now, Bill, this is just my impression, that this planet needs something more than ever before. And, and I can't put my finger on it. I've been around a long time, but this just seems to be a period where I've seen more people uptight, unhappy, bitter, mean than ever before. Do you feel that, too? Yes. Uh, well, there, uh, there's two things, uh, 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 kind of two ways that I'm looking at that. One is is that uh, the, uh, there's a there's a global stress epidemic uh, that's going on right now. No there's question. Two, yeah, and there's two reasons for that. One is uh, because uh, the the planet is changing. Our lives are changing faster than any generation in the history of humanity has experienced. And there's two main reasons for that. One is because uh, the population, uh, when I was born, uh, right after World War II, there were roughly about 2 billion people on the planet. So it took all of human history to get to 2 billion people uh, in the 19, uh, you know, uh, er, uh, 50s, 1950s. right? Right. And, but in my lifetime, uh, we've almost quadrupled the number of people on the planet. No, no generation in the history has, has seen that kind of change. And then the other thing, uh, is that we've uh, the other thing that has happened is we're the children of the technological revolution, and so uh, that uh, the speed of technological change is doubling almost every year, and uh, so the the one-two punch of uh, a, a larger population and uh, uh, also the technological explosion is putting people through so much rapid change, and change is stressful, e- and even good change, even good change is stressful. And so that's one of the reasons that these uh, mind-body practices are spreading across the planet so rapidly. Now, the other, uh, my other take on, on uh, the question that you brought up is, uh, yes, people are going through a huge amount of stress, and, and you can see it in people's faces. Uh, you know, it's just everybody's overburdened. Uh, you know, and some of it's economical as well. But, uh, uh, but the, uh, one of the fascinating things that I've uh, learned over these years of uh, teaching these techniques, and then also uh, when I got involved in the brain science of it, and I saw how it started evolving people's brains in ways that we'll get into as we go through the conversation. But uh, uh, one of the things that I discovered uh, was that there's an incredible book uh, by a Harvard psychologist named Steven Pinker, and it's called The Better Angels of Our Nature. And what he does is he does a really in-depth, it's a huge book, and he does a really in-depth uh, history of, of uh, human violence 
and uh, it involves forensic evidence, you know, like from the tools. You so know, he's web. got some proof to back this up. Right? Yes. It's a, yeah, when you read the book, you'll see it's, 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 it's uh, uh, really indisputable. I mean, he really lays out the case. But the uh, gist of the book is, is that the planet is less violent today than it's ever been before in human history. You believe that? And, you accept that? Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, if you read the book, you'll, you'll agree. Now, once I saw uh, Stephen Pink, once I read Stephen Pinker's book, then I started doing my own research, and I found out that the United Nations uh, crime statistics and the FBI crime statistics uh, showed that uh, violent crime rates are at about a 30-year low in, in much of the planet right now, and nobody can explain exactly why that's happening. Now, having uh, uh, taught these mind-body practices, I had so many experiences that gave me an idea of uh, that these things could be contributing to this because of the world event that we've organized. We realize that these things are being taught all over the world, and they're being prescribed by physicians now. And uh, one of the things that happened, one of the side effects, uh, because people come to these techniques because of hypertension or, you know, in, digestive problems, you know, things that are caused, most of the illnesses really are caused by stress if you look into it. But that's why people come to it, because they're looking for some kind of health solution. But there's a side effect that happens when people practice uh, these, these, uh, these, these techniques. Uh, what they do is they bring your brain into the alpha state. Uh, normally our brains are vibrating in a, a busier uh, beta brainwave state. But when you go into these, uh, when you use these techniques, and they're being evolved and improved with technology, you know, as we speak. But uh, as, you, as you go into these states, into these alpha states on a regular basis, it actually changes the physical structure of the brain. And one of the things that it does is it shrinks the stress and fear part of the brain. It actually physically shrinks the stress and fear part of That's the brain. That's interesting. Yes, and it enlarges the empathy and compassion parts of the brain. And uh, so having, you know, been involved in this world organizing and seeing the research and seeing that teachers all over the planet are experiencing the same kind of things that I've seen, uh, it leads me to believe that this is playing a big role in what's happening. And I think that these, uh, the violence in the world is going to continue to drop because of this. Uh, right around uh, a few years before Steven Pinker's book came out, I was invited to uh, do a meditation presentation at Folsom Prison in California. With uh, yeah. Where Johnny Cash was once. Exactly. That's what I was thinking about when I, when I got <laughs> a call. Yeah, and so, uh, uh, so I went to Folsom, and I thought that I was going to be introducing them to meditation and Tai Chi. But when I got there, I realized that they had had a program going for about two years. And one of, the, uh, uh, one of the participants in the program had been keeping prison statistics over those two years. And what he discovered was not only did the uh, uh, behavior rates, they call them incident rates in prisons, but not only had the incident rates improved for the people in the meditation group, but they had improved for the whole prison. And, uh, uh, and then I found out about a prison in Mexico that was the site of one of the most violent prison incident, uh, incidents in modern prison history, and uh, they instituted a meditation program. And since they instituted that meditation program, uh, and it wasn't for 100% of the inmates, it was for several hundred, but uh, they haven't had a major violent incident since they instituted that program. And this that's guy's incredible. with a lot of other research that's coming out. Tell us a little bit about some of the techniques, Bill. We're going to get into this in a big way tonight with you. But uh, just... Give us an overview of how you can change the physical structure of the brain. Uh, what are some of the techniques that one needs to do? 
Yeah, uh, in the back of my book, uh, when I originally wrote the book, it was about this vision of possibility that these things offer, and it wasn't intended to be a workbook. But as I was writing it, I realized, you know, that there was going to be a lot of people that would read it that would want to have, you know, some techniques that they could start with. So I put a whole buffet of uh, different types of mind-body meditative practices in the back of the book. And the first one is mantra meditation. And mantra meditation was really the first meditation. It came out of uh, repetitive prayer from all the ancient religions. I've you know done the research, has gone through the book, and all the major religions they had some form of repetitive prayer. And uh, when you uh, when you do that, you get to a point where you're not really thinking about the words that you're saying because it's so repetitive. And then what happens is that's when your brain starts to kind of unhinge a bit from rational, analytical, linear thought. And it starts to drift into, uh, as I mentioned before, the alpha brainwave state. And that's where the mind just kind of feels like it's drifting uh, for moments at a time where you don't really know where you went. You just know that you just kind of drifted somewhere. And does this happen kind of automatically when you're in this mode? Yeah, it it does over time. Uh, It can happen faster for some people, and it takes longer for other people. Okay. Uh, But the Harvard research shows that uh, uh, when you practice meditation techniques like this, about 30 minutes is the, it seems to be the optimum. Uh, the to, optimum a day benefit. to kick in? Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, okay. they have also found that smaller mini meditations can have uh, really uh, very beneficial effects as well. But the 30 minutes a day is what they suggest to get the maximum benefit. And so that's, that's what I recommend when I do my seminars and things like that. So the mantra meditation uh, is, a, is a basic meditation that is pretty accessible to everyone. And uh, then there's other kinds of meditations. There's uh, vibrational meditations. You know, everybody's heard the famous, you know, ohm sound, you know, ohm, that one. And uh, there's, there's a, a lot of different kinds of vibrational meditations, and I include one of those in the back of the book. And uh, then there's uh, uh, moving Qigong meditations, and those are general uh, physical movements of the body. Sounds like you've got these down built to a science. Yes, uh, it it, ha- it has become that. I never thought that it was going to lead me down a scientific path. <laughs> but when I that first hospital class that I did just kind of started that ball rolling. That is amazing. And yeah, it's, and then, but and simple then, techniques then, can just change your life. But you've you've said that just a few brain-changing techniques could cause a change of the world, basically. Mm-hmm. That's dropping violence. How could that happen? Well, uh, you know... Uh, uh, when I started, when I did that Folsom Prison uh, presentation, and I found out that they had changed the behavior of the whole prison, uh, you know that sent, that that got the wheels spinning. You know how is that possible? Is Especially that possible? there, yeah. I mean, we got a lot of listeners to this program. They're probably listening to you right now, but that's a tough prison. Yes, that's right. And the other thing, uh, just uh, an aside there, one thing about Folsom Prison, which I think is probably common to a lot of prisons, is it's very segregated. Uh, you know, inmates tend, you know, they tend to fall in into racial categories because that's the only way they can be, you know, have some security. Sure. And, uh, and, and so they're very divided. But when I got into that meditation group, uh, they held it in the chapel in the center of the, of the prison ground. And uh, uh, when I walked into that chapel... Uh, it was it was just like walking into a meditation class anywhere. Uh, it was just such a whole different atmosphere that they'd created, and it was completely integrated. Uh, there were Chicanos and Native American, uh, and, uh, a couple of Native Americans, and you know, white and, and black and everything. You know, all all practicing. They had a mix of everybody. 
Yeah, uh-huh. And, uh huh. And but the so the Folsom Prison thing got me start you know thinking you know how is it possible that people's consciousness could affect other people's consciousness in their institution, and that led me to some other research that's been being done. Uh, one of them, uh, one of the studies that really caught my attention was they uh, did a meditation uh, study uh, using the city of Washington D.C. Yes, that was with Lynn McTaggart. Yes. Uh, uh, there was there were a couple of universities involved, yep. and also the yep. Washington yep. D.C. Police Department. C- crime went down. Yes, it went down twenty three percent below what the normal was uh, for violent crime for that time of the year. She was on our program, Bill, where she used our audience as part of the group to get that crime down. Oh, how interesting! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it it, it works. I don't yeah. know how it works. Do you? Well, yeah. Well, okay. That's my book starts to explore these things, and uh, 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 so you know, over uh, you know, I I got really interested in quantum physics and also chaos mathematics because I was looking for answers to help explain some of the things that I was going through on this journey that I was going through, uh, you know, uh, uh, practicing these mind body uh, techniques and the changes that they were putting me through and the way that I related to other people. And so I was trying to, you know, and then when I came across these studies about how, you know, how could somebody's consciousness affect other people? And so uh, one thing led to another. And uh, uh, one of the things that uh, 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 I was very excited about finding was that there was a, uh, a, a global consciousness project uh, came out of early research at Princeton University. And uh, what they were trying to, dis- uh, to determine in the beginning was they were just trying to determine whether human consciousness would a- affect electronic equipment. And uh, they found out that it did. And so they ended up putting these, they call them a random event generators, all over the planet. And uh, the random event generators, essentially what they are is they're digital coin flippers. So it's a one and a zero, and it just flips, 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 flips. And so over a period of time, it's always going to end up 50-50, you know, because that's just the you know, the law of mathematics and statistics. But uh, what they found was that when uh, they had these things uh, all over the planet, and what they found was that when human consciousness was focused in mass, that it sent their uh, random event generators way off track all over the planet. Uh, One of the events was uh, uh, Princess Diana's death. And another one... And 9-11. And 9-11 was another event. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.